0: It's been a real privilege to witness you today and to hear your stories and to see in the case, some of your cases, there's been a lot of movement and opening and some people were stuck but were sort of present even though we're a little stuck or even a lot stuck. And really this is the practice of being on retreat. This movement through really all of life. You know, it, it's we come away here and we feel like it's far away from our lives, but actually, wherever you go, there you are, as you've heard many times. And so, all of our life is shows up in kind of living color because we're looking at it really, really closely and there's no distractions. And all of the habits and patterns of the things that you do outside of here, you're doing in here on retreat, but you have some awareness, how wonderful. So I wanna focus, I wanna remind us again about this spectrum of awareness, but then focus my talk on uh, natural awareness, the fourth stop on on those stages that I mentioned. They're not stages. Stages isn't good because stages implies that one is better than the other. And they're not. There's actually not a hierarchy in my view. They're different ways of being aware. So this map that I've given you is really artificial. The map is not the territory. Like Alex was saying, the finger pointing at the moon is not the moon but it's a helpful way for some of us to kind of look more closely at our experience when we're meditating and oftentimes we realize oh this is what's arising i didn't realize it it had a name and and here's how i can work with it or um i've been doing this for a while and i'm just my mind is going tired what happens if i try this so it's it's it gives you tools for experimentation it gives you a map to help you kind of see what might be happening within meditation. And it's so in that way I think it's it can be quite helpful um, and worth knowing. Some of you are real maps people, you like maps, some of you not so much, but um we've learned that if our mind is really distracted, it might be useful to focus on to, to keep a focus, to have a really focused awareness. We've learned that when emotion is arising, maybe the best thing is not to stay focused, but actually to turn our attention to it. We've noticed that maybe we're feeling like we're working too hard and we're building up a sweat and it's trying to keep my attention on my breathing. And we realize that maybe if I just relax a little bit and notice what's happening in a very organic way, things shift. And so this is the spirit in which we play with the spectrum of awareness, not to keep you on this try one, then two, then three, then four, although we're structuring the retreat this way, but to just help you to have a, 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 a larger view of how our practice works. So remember it went from narrow to wide, from effort-filled to effort less and if you remember today when Alex was teaching you choiceless awareness he was inviting less effort just kind of a settling back and receiving everything that was happening but in the first day we were like okay come on bring your attention back your mind is wandering bring it back so you see the difference in effort right and then um, from objects meaning the things we pay attention to to what we're going to explore today, which is uh, object-less awareness, object-less awareness. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'll be explaining it in a minute. Just to say something about, so the analogy of narrow to broad, we've been using the camera, telescopic to panoramic, from effortful to effortless. The best analogy I can think of is that when you're riding a bicycle, and you pedal and pedal and pedal and pedal, and at a certain point, you coast. This is that territory, this natural awareness territory and the choiceless awareness territory. We're coasting more. You've been working really hard for several days, and now we're coasting. And then this, um, this other piece, the object versus objectless, we'll get into in a few minutes. The most beautiful analogy that I, a student of mine came up with around how the spectrum of awareness works is with focused awareness, it's like we're a sailor. We're um, trying to move our, our sailboat in a, sorry, a specific direction and we're moving the rudder and we're just trying to stay on course and there can be a sense of purpose and mastery and focus. With choiceless awareness or flexible awareness, it's more like we're a scuba diver. We're underwater looking at all the plant and sea life and the fish are swimming by and we're noticing that and we're noticing the coral and there's a sense of like wide open interest and curiosity and it's um it's a very uh, kind of open space, right? And then he said, and for natural awareness... It's like we're the water itself. And that's the territory we're about to enter right now. So let's talk about what that means. I define natural awareness as a free-flowing kind of mindfulness where one is generally awake, aware, without having to work so hard to do it is spacious and present and connected? We're often it's not um, focusing on particular objects, but focusing on the awareness itself. So it's sometimes called awareness of awareness. And I'm going to be really explaining that because that term is confusing. But it, you'll, I think you'll get it in a little bit. Much of the time, we're focused on our thoughts and our and the objects of awareness we're focusing and we live life right we walk, live, walk through life paying attention to everything that's in front of us thinking our thoughts we're we're usually lost we're not aware at all of in the objects that we're noticing but this is an opportunity to rest our awareness in awareness itself so instead of lost in the objects of awareness we're lost in something that maybe contains the objects of awareness. To be very clear, I didn't make this up. This is not something that I just invented. And this is teachings that I've learned from many different teachers that I've kind of adapted in a way that I find to be useful in a context that that's not a religious context about it. But I draw from... Tibetan Dzogchen and Mahamudra teachings, Hindu Advaita Vedanta, some Zen practice from uh, the Thai forest tradition in Theravadan or Southeast Asian Buddhism, and um, and also from many, many of my colleagues at Spirit Rock who've taught and practiced with in this way. So this is something that is... um, it's kind of cooking in me, and I'll tell you in a little while kind of how it emerged in my practice, but its I just want to be really clear that I just didn't invent this like last week or something. Okay, so why is natural awareness something we might want to practice with? And I'm going to answer that by saying a few things that I experience when I practice natural awareness and that I see with students, but I will also say that... Um, This is true of mindfulness in general, but the states of natural awareness that we access are inherently beautiful and gratifying. And there's often quite a sense of joy and connection and ease. That as we practice natural awareness, we're cultivating a mind of non-clinging and non-identification. And that's what we've been practicing all along. Every time on this retreat that you notice that you're really caught in something and then you let go, there's a moment of freedom. There's freedom present. And that is very closely connected to a quality of natural awareness. I just call it natural awareness because it feels like it's it's part of what it means to be human, It's natural. We all have awareness. We all have this capacity to be aware without even working so hard, and I'll show you that in a moment. It's looking, the natural awareness takes us out of our dramas, out of that small sense of me, 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 and into something that feels vaster and more connected. We realize we're something beyond our stories, beyond the drama. It can help us live in a place of interconnection, non-separation, non-isolation. And I see it as a deep place of refuge in a world of anxiety and uncertainty because it's only this inner peace, really, that's the only thing we can count on. Everything else is so uncertain. So doing these practices, doing mindfulness practices, all as I said, it can apply to anything we've done here. And I'm kind of putting the slant, the lens on the natural awareness. So we're tapping into an awareness that's already here, that is part of what it means to be a human being. And so we're going to play a game right now. Some of you have done this with me before, but I'm going to ask you for the next 10 or so seconds. Okay. You have a job. Ready? When I, when I count to three, don't be aware. Okay. Ready? One, two, three, go. Okay, could you do it? Could anybody not be aware? What? You couldn't not be aware? So you're aware. (laughs) Awareness is happening all the time. We just often don't realize we're aware. We don't know we're aware. We're not aware of that awareness. But awareness is happening all the time. It's impossible to not be aware. Sometimes people say, Oh no, I sung a song and I wasn't aware. And I said, but you knew you sung that song. So, you are aware of that. Okay. So, we can think of our natural awareness as kind of like a radio station that's blaring all the time, right? It's just there. Awareness is present for us. Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, the Vietnamese Zen Buddhist master, would say, please help yourself, right? Mindfulness is always available. Please help yourself. Awareness is always available, but it's like what happens is there's this one radio station that's blasting natural awareness and then there's like 50 other ones blasting, you know, KPF anger or whatever or W C and Crazy Mind or something, right? Like that's what's happening. We're tuned into the depression station or the I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy enough, right? That's where we get tuned in. And it's kind of like we miss this thing that's blaring. It's right there all the time. And and that's just kind of what humans do, right? We get identified. We get lost in our stories and dramas. And that separates us from this capacity to know and to rest and to simply be, to just be. And I really want to have conjectured, and I've talked to lots of people, and I won't say this is true of everyone, but many people have had tastes and whispers of this and sometimes bigger experiences, and they know exactly what I'm talking about when I start talking about natural awareness. It can arise in the meditation practice. Maybe it um since you've been here, maybe there's just been like a settling into your being, an awareness just happening on its own. Or maybe it's when you're outside and you're watching the, you know, the lizards and there's like this connection and it's me and the lizard and I'm right there, or those turkeys that keep making the teachers late for everything. Or it's like that that it often happens in relation to the natu- natural world, right? Just raise your hand if you've had an experience where you know what I'm talking about. Just connected to yourself, a sense of being, yeah. And not everybody, but oftentimes people have an experience of this. There's a beautiful quote from Helen Keller from her book, The Story of My Life. Which this was from like the early ni- uh, 1902. She said, Long before I learned to do a sum in arithmetic or describe the shape of the earth, Miss Sullivan had taught me to find beauty in the fragrant woods, in every blade blade of grass, and in the curves and dimples of my baby sister's hand. Right? And we know Helen Keller's story is so dramatic that when she kind of woke up to, when she could recognize reality and and label it and know what was happening and then imagine i can't imagine what it was like but imagine the wonder of recognizing what this world was and i remember for myself i i had a a fairly big experience when i was a young young girl i was about 14 and i was um lying out in this field i had been working i'd been kind of like babysitting and i was Exhausted, and I was lying out in this field under the sky, and the stars were enormous. And I was out kind of by the beach, and I was laying down in this blanket and looking up at the stars. And suddenly, this feeling came over me that was such a huge sense of love and connection. And I felt like I was part of the stars, and it shocked me. I was 14. And I just went, what is going on? I feel like I love everything. This is so weird. And so I started thinking, like, there must be somebody I don't love. Who do I? So I thought, oh, right, my friend's brother is really mean to me. So I thought about him, and I loved him too. It didn't work. There was no aversion in my body and mind. And I was kind of mystified by this. And, it, you know, I, still, I, mean, I talk about it now, like, 35 years later, right? And it's just like, wow. Here is this capacity for the human mind and heart to feel these states of love and connection and compassion. And it can take, it can just come over us in a moment. So when we experience it, sometimes we experience it as a kind of, there's words that are often used, descriptor words like pristine, luminous, open boundless, expansive. And when we experience it personally, it often has different qualities to it. That's been my observation. So I think of it like a diamond with different facets. And as you look at a different facet, you're going to have a different quality. So one facet of it might be um, compassion, and then another facet might be uh, transcendence, and another might be humor and then ordinariness. and then just thisness. And it can be very personal or very impersonal. And it's like, and what I mean by this is we have experience of natural awareness. Perhaps you've had it, as I asked, on this retreat or in your life, but it had it had a certain kind of quality to it. And people, it changes from time to time. So for myself, it might be, feel like something one day, it might be just like, oh, yeah, I'm just totally here. Like a here-ness that, that's unshakable in a sense. And then another day, it might be hilarious. Like getting the cosmic joke of life, you know. So it can it can come in different ways when people experience it in in, in at different times and different. Sometimes it's like a tiny little whisper. Sometimes it's like this, like kind of like this the the experience I was describing to you, really like over big, and everything in between. But the thing that I will say as I'm as I teach about it oftentimes people will say i kind of think i know what she's talking about and yeah when i was meditating was that natural awareness i don't know so people it it kicks up a lot of doubt for people and here's what i want to say to you if you think you've experienced something in this territory yes you have you have it's there it's so personal in some ways it's so like when if you if something in you is resonating with what i'm talking about and you think yeah i was i felt so at peace even for that 3 seconds or this deep connection with myself or the connection with nature or this is it this is the territory there's no need to doubt or question it it's just it's just part of what it means to be human it's not that um I was going to say it's not that big of a deal. But what I mean by that is it can feel like a big deal. Like, wow, I just feel so completely at rest and at peace in my being. That feels like a big deal. But it's something that we can all have access to. So that's what I mean by it's not that big of a deal. It's truly connected to this quality of letting go. Okay? Of letting go. And once again, um, I my favorite story about letting go is kind of um, sad. <laughs> but um, how do they, many of you have heard this, the story of how monkeys are caught in Thailand. I don't want to know what they do with the monkeys once they catch the monkeys, but how they trap them is they keep, they have a coconut... And they hollow out the coconut, they make a little hole in a coconut, and they hollow it out, and they secure it to a tree, and then they put a banana in the hollowed out coconut, and then they wait for the monkey to come and get the banana. So the monkey comes along, sticks his hand in, grabs the banana, and then guess what? What's wrong? He's stuck, right? And then he's howling, and he can't get out, and he can't get out. And there's a very, very obvious solution, and that solution is what? Yeah, drop the banana. Did someone yell, smash the coconut? No. <laughs> drop the banana. But this is, the monkey doesn't do it, and then he gets captured, and then we, we'll just end the story there. But But this is what... This is what our human mind is doing all the time. We're clinging on to something, thinking that we're going to get what we want. Carol laid it out so beautifully, the way that, that we desire and we attach. And it's not only, it's not only we don't only cling what we desire and attach, we run away from the things that we don't want. And we're constantly in this, this, this creation of a sense of me, me, me. I like, I don't like, I need, I'm bad, I'm not worthy, I'm anxious. Like these stories that we're clinging on, like these monkeys clinging and clinging. And really, the only well, a solution is to drop our bananas, right? To learn to let go. And how do we learn to let go? We let go through the practice of mindfulness. This practice of I'm caught, I see it. I'm going to hold myself in awareness and compassion. And oftentimes things begin to let go. And I know that since you've been here, you've had moments where you've seen yourself holding on really, really tightly to something, a story, an idea about who you are, an opinion, a way that you think you're right, something you think about another person here. Like we hold on to these things and we suffer And when we have a moment, if it occurs, where we realize that, wow, I'm holding on and I can breathe and pause and just recognize and feel it in my body and nurture myself and investigate, and then freedom comes. And in that freedom, that freedom, what is here? It's just a sense of ease and release and our own awareness coming in. Just fit like what is here in the wake of letting go? Awareness. Awareness is here. It's so amazing. It's really amazing when we're not holding on. There's something else that's present. And that's something you can investigate as you practice. Natural awareness doesn't mean we only have joyful, blissful, you know, great experiences. Natural awareness actually is it, it. It can be colored by different qualities, like I was describing, but it also is. Um, it 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 can also be colored by challenging things. So sometimes when we practice. Resting in a place of being, just resting, resting our mind, just being, taking a walk without an agenda. And then suddenly up comes grief, or up comes comparing mind, or up comes anxiety. And I often liken it to that we're creating a place of safety inside ourselves. And so the parts of us that don't want to be seen, they start to show up and then what can we do we can switch over to investigative awareness and we can practice we can practice being mindful of it we can practice rain we can be with that emotion another thing we can do is rest more deeply in this natural awareness and see what happens to the emotion and so an example of that is If you have a teaspoon of salt and you put it in a glass of water, it's going to make the salt really, uh, the water really salty. If you have a ocean, not an ocean, sorry, because that's filled with salt, but a lake, a really wide open lake, and you dump in a teaspoon of salt, it's just going to dissolve. I'll never taste it. So if you think of our minds, wide, open, spacious, when we did the choiceless awareness, there was just, there was an openness to it. As we come to this more open end of the practice, we'll see what happens with difficult emotions. And it's really, remember your choice here, you can play with this. And for some of you, I am talking about this and you're thinking, yeah, this really makes sense to me. And some of you are thinking, "Mm, it's not really the way my practice is evolving. And that's absolutely fine. It's absolutely fine. The problem, one of the problems when I teach natural awareness is that there are these pitfalls that you can fall into. Like you're sitting there thinking a million things. Oh, yeah, I'm just resting in natural awareness. Everything's cool. But you're actually just lost in thought. That is not natural awareness. We can get sleepy really easily when we do it because we're just sort of not there it it, it, sometimes it just our mind gets a little fogged out because it's so wide open we can um we can find ourselves um practicing in such a way that that we're like the natural awareness just it, it just it seems like a good idea and we're not quite experiencing it and then we get lost in a lot of judgment and this doesn't make sense and it can get lead to a lot of confusion so there's a lot of pitfalls that can happen the biggest one is the deluding ourselves though oh yeah this is natural awareness so just to notice and be really vigilant is this awareness or is it you know is it thinking one of my favorite Things about the practices that are more effortless is that, um, it can counteract a driven quality that so many of us have. You know, I want to do really well in meditation. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to notice every single breath and every single step. And I'm going to notice from the morning until the evening. And I'm going to get some incredible attainment from being this mindful. And then, oh no, I'm failing, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. (laughs) I didn't, I missed a mindfulness moment, ah! (laughs) When I first started meditating, I remember I was really trying to practice mindfulness in daily life and I I was was like, I'm going to just try to be as mindful as I can. That was just my idea, you know. I remember I talked to a friend of mine and I said, oh, I'm so pathetic, I'm probably only mindful ten times a day. And he said, why don't you reframe that? amazing i'm mindful 10 times a day right we don't you know we have not a skewed we have a skewed perspective so we can we it can counteract a kind of self-judgment a drivenness a perfectionism when um so i'm going to share a little bit about my own story I started, I started meditating, uh, right after college. I was in my early twenties and well, actually that's not completely true. Right. So when I was, when I was nine, my mother took my brother who was six and me to get a transcendental meditation mantra. Okay. So you go to the, to the, you know, the center for TM. I don't know. Anybody here have a mantra, a TM mantra? All right, and a few of you but you know about it, right? Yeah, okay. So you go and they give you a mantra and then for kids what they did back then is they tell you to um to walk and do like a walking meditation say, saying your mantra. And I did it for I think maybe 2 days and that was it. But the really important thing they do is they tell you whatever you do, do not tell anyone your mantra. This is, like, against the rules. You can't do it. So we get home, and I, we had a cousin who was about five years older than us, and he's like, what's your mantra? <laughs> and we said, we can't tell you. And somehow, he, my brother <laughs> sold his mantra to my cousin <laughs> for a Hot Wheels car. <laughs> okay, I don't know why I told you that story, but... Um, <laughs> But anyway, oh, right, because I was saying I started meditating very young. I don't know if that really counts, but it was the 70s. They were doing things like that with children. Um, oh, wait, they're doing them now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so when I was um, in my 20s and I started meditating, I first came into the practice in India and then Thailand and got involved with um, First Learn Mindfulness in a monastery in Thailand, well, first, actually, in India, then Thailand. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, and I met a, a nun there after I did my first 10 day meditation retreat. And she said, Oh, you liked this. Why don't you go to this place called Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts? They have three month retreats. And, you know, I was out of college and not sure what I was doing with myself. And I thought, Oh, okay. All right. Three months. I can do that. Actually, that's not true. My first thought was, Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> and then I then it kind of built up to it but I ended up doing this 3 month retreat. And while I was there I learned really a lot of the the this end of the spectrum that we're talking about the end of the spectrum that is the focused awareness and the investigative awareness with a little bit of choiceless but that was the emphasis at the time in the meditation te- with the meditation teachers I was working with I got very involved with a Burmese teacher named Sayadaw Pandita and I would call him in some ways a master of investigative awareness. A really well he's a really a master period he was he's no longer alive but he was this incredible teacher of mindfulness and he would teach us in this kind of boot camp style. Where you would wake up, we're like, we're, you know how we're kind of like, yeah, you can try this, anything goes, it's fine, right? We're like that. He was the opposite. <laughs> that may be why I teach this way. <laughs> but he was, you get up in the morning, did you wake up on your in-breath or your out-breath? Seriously. And then the the second you got up out of bed, you had to notice rise. You noted we did a lot of noting practice. So rising, rising, standing, walking, go. You know, wash your face, feeling the the water. I mean, from like this minute awareness of every single experience. And um and so I studied with him for a number of years. And then he said, "Come to my monastery because I want um and practice, and you can ordain as a Buddhist nun with me." And eventually, after about 10 years of meditating, I did. And I lived in this monastery, and it was um, really hard in all sorts of ways. Not the least of was the snakes and the spiders and the scorpions and the, oh, man, giant spiders, really big spiders and um, really big snakes and really big scorpions. Anyway, it wasn't a picnic. (laughs) Um, Maybe it was for them, right? (laughs) Um, but I was very, very dedicated, right? I was very dedicated and I had decided that I wanted to do it in the traditional way that it's done in the Buddhist societies where you, you, um, I, I became a nun and I shaved my head and I, um, gave away my possessions, which is not true. I just put them into storage and, um, and I lived in, in this, you know, you don't eat after 12 noon. You don't, um, you're not allowed to sleep in high and luxurious beds, which meant nothing because they give you like a straw mat and say, have fun. (laughs) And, um, and I abided by these, all these rules and these commitments for being a nun living in this monastery in the hot, 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 hot weather, not liking the food, um, getting sick a lot. I was basically pretty miserable, but I loved to meditate. I loved to meditate. And I felt like it was so worth it for me to have this period of time to deeply go in and explore my mind. And I had been practicing in this very, very effort based way for a really long time work hard, work hard, work hard. And, you know, there were goals. I had my spiritual goals. Because there was a sense that, oh, maybe if I practice hard enough, I'll get some kind of enlightenment or awakening or something really great will happen to me if I practice hard enough. And so... I spent that year living in that monastery, meditating, working really, really hard, particularly with this very focused mind, developing concentration, investigating my experience. And it was really, really amazing. I mean, think about what you're doing here for six, seven days. And imagine now multiply that by... 10, 20, 30, right? Because it, because it just, it just increases the amount of time. It increases your experience, right? So what happened was, though, I was really driven. I had, I was, I was a, just a driven person. I was a type A kind of person. I needed to get my A in meditation. So, I thought if I could be mindful every single second, I would get my A in meditation. So, I worked harder and harder and harder. And by about the sixth or seventh month, I was doing all sorts of crazy things. I was like, I said, maybe if I don't sleep, then I can meditate better. Not smart, right? Not a good idea at all. Um, but I tried, you know, I tried not, I tried sleeping less and less. I tried sleeping sitting up. That was really fun, right? There are these, in, in the Buddhist world, there are these um, traditions of, of monks who practice in um, sitting up meditation and they never sleep. They're, they're incredible. So I tried that. I was not very good at it. Um, they, I tried, if I just sit for an, another hour, so I would sit for one hour, two hour, three hour, four hour, waiting for something like amazing to happen if I could just be mindful. Anyway, you can see where this is going, right? It wasn't a good idea. What happened was I ended up, um, sort of, well, sort of falling apart. I got, um, I, I, I had this, just, it was just suddenly, it was very, it was very strange, but over a period of weeks, I stopped being able to be mindful and I started to feel all this grief and all this shame and all this sense of failure, like, I was failing at the one thing that was the most important thing to me in the world, and I just want to pause for a moment because I tell this story, and um, and I suddenly sometimes I've told this story, and people think, "Oh, is this going to happen to me?" Just want to remind you, this was like seven months into a meditation retreat. This was not a six day meditation retreat, okay? <laughs> and of me like really working, trying to get my A, got to get my A in meditation so I basically fell apart and um, all this grief and all this shame and all this self-hatred and I'm unworthy and I've failed and and so I'm thinking maybe I'll just go to Thailand and to the beach and relax and um, I went to see my teacher and I walked in and I said I'm leaving and he said fine, leave he wasn't like a warm and fuzzy guy (laughs) just (laughs) in case you thought that and I and then he said but if you do the afflictions of the mind will overwhelm you in other words wherever you go there you are so I would take it to Thailand with me and then I just went back to my room and I reflected and I was like there must be a way for me to to be here but not practice in the same way and I found a book in the little library there that at first they wouldn't let me read cuz they didn't want me to read no reading and writing but finally when they thought I was going to leave they let me take the book and I opened this book and it was like it was like I was just kind of mysteriously drawn to the book but I opened the book and it was a book with some Tibetan teachings and it basically said there's nowhere to go there's nothing to get. Your mind is already inherently free, pure, open, spacious, joyful. This is who you are. So this trying to get something, it's, it's a path that will never get you anywhere because you are already there. And I read that, and I just remember it like bawling. And then I began to practice in a totally different way. And that way involved, first of all, a lot of compassion for myself. All these kindness practices that we've been doing this week, kindness, 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 hours and hours and hours of kindness to hold the grief, to hold the self-hatred, to hold the shame. And then also I started meditating, not trying to get anything, not trying to be mindful every second, but opening myself to the awareness that was already present. And that's when this quality of natural awareness, that that's when my practice went into that fourth kind of stop on the spectrum that i'm talking about and i spent the next many many months practicing doing all the types of awareness but infused with this quality of this deeply compassionate open spacious effortless awareness so i left the monastery and then probably spent the next 20 years studying with different teachers to understand what I was doing. Um, And maybe not 20, but, but but then over time, as my meditation practice got very, you know, as I gained more understanding and more practice experience and so forth, I realized that I was just out of balance. And I was out of balance because I was so driven, right? Like I... I didn't really like myself. And I thought that if I could get my A in meditation and get some kind of amazing experience, then I would be a good person. Then people would like me. Then I would be lovable. Then I would never hurt anyone. You know, I had all these stories. But the truth was, and this is what I learned, that I was okay as I was. I was out like seeking for something that wasn't even there. I was—I already had it, just like in *The Wizard of Oz*, right? You already have the heart, you have the brain, you have the courage, but you think it's outside of yourself. So that was my, like, probably you know, the big lesson of my, maybe, of my life. <laughs> um, and that's why I'm so passionate about teaching these practices because these practices were a healing balm to me. And not only that they're like they're accessible to all of us right It's right here for us. So what I want to do is just spend the next little bit of time trying a few of the natural awareness practices and um, and explain that thing that I was saying awareness of awareness like what is awareness of awareness so my experience is that, People understand awareness of awareness in three, possibly four different ways. One of the ways of understanding awareness of awareness is awareness is that which contains everything. Okay? So, so you know what, rather than talk about it, let's just do it. So I want you to, um, to just kind of relax. And as we do this, please have fun with it. Like, do not take this too seriously. And don't get into, oh, my gosh, is this it? Oh, no, am I doing this right? Like, just, just play with it. Let's just have fun. Um, okay. So we can, um, we can start by opening up our sense of hearing if we can hear and if we can't hear just take a pause for a moment and be with your breath for for just a short moment but for those who can hear just listen to the sounds around you in the room just listen and see if you can listen to the farthest away sound And then for fun, if you're willing, open your eyes. This is for everybody. And as you're looking, look from the periphery instead of looking at objects. Instead of looking at the people or me or whatever. Just look as if you can look from the periphery. Just soften. Soften. And you might try listening, if you can hear, and looking in a very broad way. And now notice the space in between the things that you're looking at. So there's space. Notice the space. Soften your body. Relax. Feel this wide open space in which everything is contained. Our minds are vast like the sky. Open. Spacious. Boundless. Everything that's happening in it is just a cloud passing by. Okay, so we're going to stop. Wait, that's. Hold on. Ding. I'll say ding for everyone. Did you notice a shift in your consciousness? To something a little bit more spacious, right? I mean, that's where I was pointing you So So one of the ways that we can experience awareness, and again, you—you you we're just playing here. So you might have been that was okay, or I didn't get it. That's fine. But one of the ways we experience it is through a sense of um, recognizing that the. That which contains everything, like everything is arising in our awareness, and so I was pointing you to that noticing. So we're going to try another one that people sometimes. So another one that people that people experience awareness of awareness is kind of like a question that makes your mind tied up in knots a little bit, and it um, it's supposed to confuse you, and sometimes it helps like you see things in a different way. So let's try this one. I'll actually, I'll combine two more together. So we'll do this question. So this one is awareness of awareness is that which knows that which knows. Okay. So let's just take a pause and sit here. If you like the wide open spacious awareness, you can do, keep going with that. If you want to go back to closing your eyes, you can do that. Just taking a few breaths. Let's ask ourselves the question Who is aware right now? Who is noticing? Yeah, that's another one that I was going to offer you. I call these glimpse practices. Now, I know you're having an experience and you're thinking about it, but let me just get through one more. Um, and you can process it on your own. So if you didn't know, if, if your mind said, "Who knows? I don't know who's noticing, but maybe you're sort of, I'm noticing, I'm noticing the note that I'm noticing, and I'm noticing that I'm noticing, and at some point your mind just kind of gives up, and you just sort of rest. It's sort of a fun one. Okay, here's one more. Awareness of awareness is sometimes experienced by people as that which is. That which is. So I just invite you to settle into being here right now. Can I be with just this? Can I be with just this? Everything is happening on its own. There's nothing you have to do. Can I be with just this? So these are just, as I said, I call them glimpse practices. They're little practices that you can put into your meditation to help you kind of play with this natural awareness. There's lots of them. Um, The book that I wrote is all about them and the glimpse practices, Little Book of Being. Um, So tomorrow when we have our morning instruction, we will have more opportunity to practice with these. This is just a little taste because I talked about it. I wanted you to get a sense of it. And I just want to add a a few last things before I end, which is that um, once you kind of get the hang of it, you start to see that natural awareness is accessible and available to you in every, not every, in any moment. In other words, we can connect with it when we're taking a walk, when we're out in nature, when we're in the midst of athletic activity, when we're in the flow of creativity, when we're hanging out with our dog, though possibly not with our cat. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just learned I learned from one of you that... There's a whole very beneficial thing that happened. Now I can't remember, but cats are great. Okay. <laughs> um, and this doesn't mean that if you practice natural awareness, you suddenly you're, you, everything's good. The world is good. There's no suffering. There's no injustice. There's no personal injustice. That is not true. So just don't get that idea. I call that being a bliss ninny. Someone who loves the bliss but is disconnected from reality, and and no, this is not about turning us into this. These practices, as I said earlier, can be an incredible inner refuge in the midst of this chaotic and confusing world. They may speak to you; they may not speak to you. All of the practices, you know, I I should really say this very clearly. All of the practices that we are doing here can be a refuge for you in the midst of this crazy and chaotic world. So, and then from a place of our connection to ourselves, that's where we act from. We act from a place, like, like our actions can be so much more effective when they're linked to a sense of deep, inner peace, and connection with ourselves. So I want to end with this quote from um, uh, someone named Tanisara, who's a teacher of many of us and friend, and she says this. Underlying the critical juncture in our biological and social evolution is a crisis of conscience and consciousness. Having traveled the great oceans, conquered all the lands, extracted wealth from the earth, and dominated her species, we now have one journey left to make. This is the most important journey we could ever make because everything depends on it. The evolutionary imperative of our times, the evolutionary imperative of our times, invites us to journey from seeing the world out there, separate and alien from us, to directly knowing our intimacy with all things. This is the shift from a dualistic consciousness to an awakened awareness that recognizes nothing is apart from anything else, and ultimately, nothing is apart from our deeper nature. So let's close our eyes for a moment if you want to, or keep them open if you're needing to listen that way. And as you sit here, just kind of see what's happening inside you. Just to notice, is it possible to be here with just this? Resting in awareness, everything is happening on its own, connected, intimate, luminous, bright,